today we are very fortunate to be sitting down with one of South Africa's main owners within the PSL, Mr. John Kometis, who runs Cape Town City at the moment and who is doing a fantastic job within the PSL in South Africa, has joined us. Uh, good morning to you, John. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me on your show. Thanks. Oh, should I be saying good morning or good afternoon? Which one is I think it? We just hit the afternoon. Oh, yes. Two it's hours a two-hour time difference. Yes, only 11 o'clock here now uh, and cold. <laughs> but we are still in this COVID period. Now the vaccine comes into play. And obviously that's been rolled out in South Africa. Um, are there any of your players, like in Europe, like abroad, that are against getting the vaccine? Yeah, I think we, we went on to a campaign, a vaccine campaign. We thought it would be uh, necessary for us as role models to show the public that uh, uh, that's the way to go in order for us to get back to normality. And uh, whilst we did the campaign, there were still a handful of players that uh, refused to take the vaccine and uh, opted not to, which we, we of course, respect and respected. Um, uh, we've proceeded without those players having vaccine. And as we go along, we, we find ourselves in situations where there's increased pressure on the unvaccinated to be vaccinated, especially if you're in a public sport like we are in, in the public eye. You know, we went to the final of the MTN Cup and then there was a whole lot of restrictions placed on that event uh, because we were introducing 2000 fans to that game. All of a sudden, everyone needed to be vaccinated. So how do we do that now when five, six players are on your lineup and they're not um, so we tried to separate the two, but then we were forced and compelled to do tests on those players uh, 48 hours before kickoff to ensure that they were uh, negative. You know, and every time you do a test, it's 800 rand. If you, if my, my, my testing bill is sitting on half a million rand since the beginning in terms of testing players and, uh, and staff at randomly from time to time. And every time there's something, they require the whole squad to be retested, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's become a costly exercise, but a necessary one. But coming closer to football, how did you end up in ownership in football, John? Which, you know, uh, Cape Town, which has such a huge history of football and some excellent players that have come out of there. Duncan Crowey, Desiree Ellis, Sean Bartlett, Benny McCarthy, Stephen Binar, which was just a juggernaut during the time when you took over IX Cape Town. How did you get into the ownership? Well, um, I, I moved to Cape Town. Uh, I was in Joburg studying uh, and uh, I played uh, after university. I went and played a couple of years in Europe, in uh, Greece. And then uh, I came back and I was looking at a business venture in Cape Town. And we started off, we brought the Steers fast food franchise down to the Western Cape. That was the, the business venture. And we had the rights for the whole Western Cape region. And that was when Steers was in, you know, that seven, eight branches, you know, today that's over a thousand. So we took the whole region and whilst football was kind of semi-pro at that time, they used to train at 5, 5.30. So I managed to juggle, still playing a bit of football for Hellenic Football Club and, uh, uh, and still working and getting the business up and running. So we got to the point where in uh, 96, I had been playing for Hellenic and I also played for Cape Town Spurs uh, a couple of seasons. 
And then uh, David Rodwell, who owned Cape Town Spurs, um, <coughs> decided to sell the club because he was moving on to Australia. And uh, we, uh, we looked at the possibility of purchasing that franchise. Now, in those days, you know, there was no... Uh, there was no funding or no sponsorship or no TV rights that uh, benefited you as a, as a league. But it was the beginning of that process where there would be some kind of funding towards clubs from the TV rights. Uh, and that there, there was some talk about in that, in those days, it was a million rand a year that clubs would get if, uh, if you had a franchise. Um, the reason why I, we proceeded to purchase the club, which I can give you the price, it was 500,000 rand to buy the franchise in those days for a PSL franchise. If only you could buy that now for that price. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, the reason we do, took the step is that I'd, I'd just finished playing uh, at that time. I knew a lot of players, I knew a lot of coaches, I was in the network. And I had the confidence to say I can bring almost my mates to come and play for the team and, and we'd be okay. Um, but the, the key factor was that every newspaper I opened while I was building the Steers brand, on the back page, there was always something about Hellenic or Cape Town Spurs. And we used it as a, almost like a marketing tool. And we thought, uh, if we own a football club in a South Africa that's fast changing, uh, that's, that's going towards... The number one sport being football and the uh, the, uh, the population sport, we can only be in the right industry to open doors for our business ventures. You know, everyone wants to sit around a table and, and chat about the PSL Premier League football at some point, and uh, we did it for that reason. But we soon realised that it was a business of its own, and uh, whilst we were all multitasking and working in the food side and and all kinds of other businesses that we had uh, engaged ourselves in, football became a big uh, a big part of that. And uh, I then ventured on running the football side because of my, you know, having played the sport at that level. And uh, so we purchased the Cape Town Spurs in 97, um, and we put it together a team very quickly. And that was the year that they changed the calendar from a yearly calendar to the UK calendar, um, which would then start the season. So we had six months of preparing ourselves without any relegation, whilst we changed the season over to start again in July. And in our first season, we ended second in the log. Um, you know, so it was a tremendous achievement uh, for, for us as Cape Town Spurs. You know, we had David Modise, Sean Bartlett, with uh, Andre Aronson in goals, Michael Jacobs, um, players like that, Carlos Dasnitz, they were all par and parcel of that of that era. And uh, you know, then we realised, okay, we know it seems to be like we know what we're doing, uh, having played the game for five six years in that in that league uh, already. You know, there wasn't a part of the country I hadn't been to yet uh, with Wits University because while I was studying at, in Johannesburg, I played for Wits and Joe Cosmos. So, you know, we, we knew the terrain and uh, it, was, it was, you know, we were successful quite, quite quickly with Cape Town Spurs. And then within literally a year and a half, I sat with Rob Moore and he came up with the idea of doing kind of a, uh, uh, an association with um, Ajax uh, Amsterdam. And the reason was because Benny went to Ajax. 
and Benny had played for Cape Town Spurs. That's the club I had. He came from Rob Moore's club, which was seven stars. They were in one division lower. Yeah. And he came on loan to us and played six months and literally from Cape Town Spurs went to Ajax Amsterdam. And uh, that was the beginning of the relationship with Amsterdam. And we put together a concept which was a franchise concept. Having been in franchising with Steers and that, it was yeah. an obvious thing for me to recommend that to Rob so that we could at least try something new. And uh, it was just to replicate their world-renowned training academy style you know, in, a, in South Africa, in a country that has the talent but didn't have the know-how. So we converted the, we took the two teams, took the best players from the two teams and uh, invited Ajax Amsterdam to purchase a 51% stake in the new entity that would be called Ajax Cape Town. And uh, the rest of us held the 49%. And we got a handsome fee for the time. Um, uh, it was it was big numbers for 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 football for the industry then. But uh, the purpose was to ultimately prepare players to be able to go back to Amsterdam as players that have been uh, scouted in from Africa at a young age. So the program started in uh, 99 2000, and uh, you know we never looked back from that, and we produced arguably the most amount of professional players uh, into the industry over the next 15 years through that academy using a philosophy and a process that was very rigid but very very good and at a high level and it was a cut and paste you know it wasn't uh, anything fancy it was it was just an application of something that worked and being consistent and true to the to the cause and um you know, through the time, we also sent, I think, six players in total to Ajax Amsterdam, of which three made a remarkable uh, uh, kind of uh, impression. It was Tulani Serrero, Stephen Pino, Ino Iyong, and obviously Benny, which was the first one. So, you know, for them, they got a return on their investment in multiples just from those players. Um, but for the rest, we produced over 150 professionals over the years that are now playing in all the clubs in the PSL still up to today. So you've actually gone on to a question I was going to talk about and how this whole IX thing came about, which is fantastic. Honestly, standing from, I was, because uh, I'm from Natal, I was envious of what was happening in Cape Town. First, it's such a beautiful place to live. But just what was being born in terms of the link with IX Cape Town and the opportunities that people were getting, um, there was just, this, I'll let you know right now, there was this huge envy. <laughs> but what did you take from the IX experience that you've now taken with you to Cape Town City? What I've understood is that there is a gap from the ages of about 14 to about 20 where we get it horribly wrong in South Africa because all the teams that we took on tour over the years that were in the ages between 11 and 14 would hands down outplay any European team that we played against. And I'm telling you, we played against the Real Madrid's, played against the, the Bayern Munich's, Amsterdam themselves. In fact, our under-18 uh, team won 
a tournament on two occasions with big guns like Man United in the tournament. So our, we, we have a natural talent in Africa in terms of the ability to to compete as athletes and that, but the, we, we get it wrong only because we don't have the, the infrastructure and the facilities to be able to sustain the competitive level that would be required to then prepare the players to make the last and final step. And uh, that includes things like nutrition, okay, uh, lifestyle, education, clever players make, uh, you know, uh, clever People make clever players when, when a, a kid's been studying and goes to school and does well, it assists him to understand things on the football pitch and to visualize things. And so all that plays a role in, in development. And then obviously you have the football itself and the content, and that would require the coaching and the right, right input to go in, the right intensity, and then to be able to compete like for like. Um, so we would play games and win seven, eight, nine, ten, no. It, it, it doesn't serve you, you know. And then what happens is you get the odd player that kind of stands alone and, and is able to make that step. And, and, and when he and he goes overseas, then there's a whole lot of new things that come in into play. You know, his social upbringing, can he manage the, the, the difference in the cultures that he's experiencing? And, and you know, everything's stacked against you. So... It's it's tough to get it to, to get it right and to get it to the end and kind of that's the the point where I understood that we need to work with players from the age of about fifteen onwards. So the most the, the reason why I came back to football after I exited Ajax in in twenty twelve was to do certain things in a different way and to to try and. Uh, bring back certain things that we never attended to while we were with Ajax. We were focused solely on finding the right talents, bring them into a system and put them through the paces, get them to the level, put them in the shop window, turn them into transfers and move on to the next. And the results were there as a by the way, uh, because we tended to have a reasonable amount of talent to keep us within the top eight competing most of the time and we picked up a trophy here and there so my return to football was firstly to be to change the way I was going to do things what we left behind with Ajax was we left the fan behind we concerned ourselves about the football content and the players and the youngsters and the direct family but we weren't engaging with the with with the community so we take a player from a club that would be the end of it and we would take the player all the way through family player club benefiting community club left behind so now i said no we we left the fan behind and without fans you can't build a football club uh, yes you can build a, an academy and you can you can have a business but you you want a football club you need to engage the community so so i had to find a name that would engage immediately. And that was why Cape Town City was the obvious name for me. Um, and then it was to engage all the clubs in the community first and not the players individually. And through engagement and having, we put, we've put a tournament together for a hundred clubs on a yearly basis um, in the community, which we call Dream Club 100. Now there's 400 clubs in the Western Cape we get 200 applications 
and we can only fit 100 in this program. But during the course of the year, we do seminars to all the coaches of these clubs, bringing in our head coaches, our conditioning coaches, our goalkeeper coaches, our nutritionists, and we run seminars for all these clubs that are in this group. We then scout the best talents once every six weeks. We invite them to bring the two best players. And we only concern ourselves with players above the age of 15. Uh, we leave the, with the development of the younger age to, to these community clubs. Then we engage the clubs in a tournament, which is a playoff. We buy every single under 16 team of these 100 clubs a kit. And they come to a tournament and a playoff. We buy a thousand balls, we put them out there to these guys. We bring them along and we have a tournament. From the tournament, we have 16 at the playoffs, 16 teams left. They go to a tournament a couple of weeks later and we pick the 20 best 16-year-olds from these 100 clubs, which becomes our under-17 team for the next season at Cape Town City. So immediately we have engagement. Then if there's a benefit down the line on the transfer of any of these players that have entered into the system, money will trickle back down to the club he originated from. So we have buy-in from the community. Now, now you need to build the brand and our social media has probably been the most cutting edge social media. the most active, if I must be honest with you, John. I, I follow all the clubs in South Africa. You guys are honestly the most active and not far behind you is Barocca. Correct. Not far behind you is Barocca, who are very, very active as well. Um, but please continue. So, yeah. yeah, so 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 we've understood that we have to engage. We have to do things and, and deal with our fans in a way they like to be communicated. Social media is, is the in way. And uh, our Twitter handle, our Instagram handle, they're all kind of uh, uh, cutting edge, thinking out the box, always active and uh, I mean, we've built it to close to a million between the three, the three platforms, um, in in a very short period over five years. So the engagement with a fan was the most important. Then you know the identity with a team. It's called Cape Town City. You see, the logo is very minimalistic. It's not about the mountain because half the population in Cape Town can't live near the mountain. You know, it's it's you make it what you feel it is, and and we found that we had a, we have a very diverse support base because of that, and we've almost become the flavor, the team of flavor. You know, you might support Chiefs on on the day, but when City is playing somebody else, you kind of want City to win, and that's that's taken by design. It wasn't kind of by luck, and we've we've worked hard in achieving that positioning. Um, and the most important is that we, we've decided that we want to win trophies. So we've done that from the outset. We've gone and got the best players we can with the budgets we're working. We have a smart team of recruitment recruiters from Africa, from South Africa. And we seem to always put out a, a decent performance in football. And that all that content is obviously the content that I've picked up over the years. Mm. with uh, rubbing shoulders with the likes of Amsterdam. You know, I used to visit there three, four times a year. So we've put these the mechanics of the football in place. We develop players from the age of 15, where the gap is where I think it needs the most attention. And uh, we've engaged the community. And, you know, we've put out a product that has 
some kind of sexiness to it, an edge to it, and people have taken to it, and uh, that's how that's how we've done it. You, you, you know, I couldn't disagree with you, and you can see the clear path where you are taking in order to not just uh, drive the club, but also promote the community, which you said was left behind before. So with all that in place, how do you then start competing? Because I know you want to compete. I know you want to start knocking on the door consistently. How do you start competing with the likes of Kaiser Chiefs, Orlando Pirates, and the mighty, well-oiled, well-funded Sundowns? Well, I haven't seen a bag of money score a goal yet. <laughs> 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 I think what you have to do is you just got to have, you've got to be, you know, we're 24 seven on, 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 on the game. Um, we're constantly looking as to how, uh, how we're going to improve uh, the squad and the quality of the football. We want to make sure we play attractive football. So there's a certain style and type of player that we scout. Um, it's, 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 it's a very, very, high level uh, 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 process for us in order to find a player. We, there's a lot of good players that we just won't even consider because they don't have or they don't fit into the ethos or the mold as to, as to how we want to play. So we have to be sharper on the recruitment. We have to find players that are a bit younger so that we can get them before they become expensive. Um, and we then have to also balance um, the incoming players with the outgoing players. And we always try to get the outgoing players to go to Europe so that we then become the club of choice. Players don't feel that they're coming here and it's a dead end. And if they don't play regularly, they'll just be sitting out getting a fat salary and, and the end of their career. They know that this is a pathway to possibly a bigger future and, and hopefully in Europe. Uh, we, we, if you notice, we don't sell many players locally. A lot of our players, in fact, most of our players move offshore. And uh, it's important for us to, to recruit correctly. That's, that's the key. And, you know, a lot of things we do are not, it's not, it's not about money. You know, to, to, to put in discipline has got nothing to do with money. To put in structures has got nothing to do with money. So the things that are doable, that don't require the money we do very well and uh, then the rest falls in place the rest falls in place but uh, there's not a big gap between number one and number 16 in South Africa um, it's application it's consistency it's to keep doing the right things and uh, you know have a vision and, and follow it now you spoke about improving the squad you spoke about getting the right type of person into Cape Town City that fills in with the ethos uh, of what you or potentially and your owners are driving. So you appoint Benny McCarthy in his first major coaching role. Absolutely. He was very successful as a player under you. He was very successful as a manager under you. Uh, what was about him that made you give him this job? You know, we... we the, 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 what I've experienced over the years being involved with the Dutch is that you know their structure, discipline, uh, planning, documents, uh, follow-up, reporting, all these things are in place. 
when you have that in place, it's not, it's, it's, it's every coach that would come to this club has a fighting chance of being very, very successful. And then it's his little added ability and personality that will, will see him through. And, you know, we don't leave much for error. We don't, you know, you don't come in here as a head coach and start from the beginning and start designing how this team's going to play and what it's all in place. You just need to take, first of all, buying the vision. So you have to be the right coach for that. Once you've done that, then we pretty much hold your hand and, you know, we won't let you fail. Uh, you can only fail if you want to be alone. If you want to do things your way only. That's the only reason you would fail at this club. If you form part of the ethos, um, your added personality, your added ability will then transfer a top eight team into a, into a team that wins trophies. Yeah. We will be a top eight team regardless. You can, br I'll bring you any, you can bring me any coach that's currently in the PSL come to this club. They won't finish out of the top eight. That I can assure you. But now, who's the coach that's going to win trophies for us? Who's the coach that's going to win us the league? Now you need that that uh, special touch, that something, extra, something yes. extra. And 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 Benny has that. Benny has that. And when he uses it to the good use for the team, for the club, the results are there. It's quite, it's obvious. And that's why I think uh, Bafana missed a trick. Whilst Bruce has done very well, I still believe Benny was the right choice. You know, uh, that's an ever-evolving door. Obviously, the door will eventually come open for Benny again. It has to. He, he was such a success everywhere. And correct me if I'm wrong, I read an article when Benny obviously left Cape Town City. You said that was one of your most difficult decisions you had to make in him moving on. Very much so. You know, I mean, Benny, I had him here, he was 18 when he was playing for Cape Town Spurs. Went and scored two goals away from home against Kaiser Chiefs. We beat them 2-1 away with Spurs. You know, from then he never looked back. He, he got himself a great deal, uh, moving to thing with Rob Moore. And, uh, you know, I was part of Benny's success into getting where he got to. And obviously it's his ability that got him there. And he's certainly his tenacity and character. And giving him a chance was like, it, it, was, it was an easy decision. You know, I know nobody else may have done that, but certainly for me, it, was, it wasn't difficult to, to appoint him because I know, I know what he's about. I, I know how he thinks. And over the years, while he was a player, you know, we met up a few times. Um, so, you know, coming to a point where, unfortunately, the results were not in his favour. And, you know, we went through a bad patch and a, a, quite a lengthy one. It took us 18 games of two, two wins to, to get to the final decision. It was, it was difficult because the difference between winning sometimes is, is just a bit of luck. And, you know, and the ball hits the post and goes out or goes in, and, you know. And no. let's be honest, that takes belief. 18 games, two wins, that's a, a lot of time and faith given to a coach. Well, you know, the, 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 the problem is when you, if you have an experienced coach, you, you sometimes will want to believe, okay, he, he's going to dig deep into his experience. He's a good character. He's a good person. He has the right intent. Uh, he'll find the moment. 
something will click and it'll turn in his favor. But it was Benny's first job. You know, it's, it's difficult for him to dig deep into into what, you know, it was just purely now he was at the mercy of certain players with, with respect. I would have preferred to fire th- 25 players in some after some games, you know, uh, and because he deserved a lot more uh, from them and certainly helped them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it makes you angry because you've, you're forced into a decision where you know that four or five players have not done what they're capable of. And they're the ones that count at the time. And, and, and the coach has given them the faith and they don't do it. So how do you do? How do you fix this? You, fire, you can't fire seven players, eight players. It's, it's not easy. So you end up, you know, saying, well, change the environment. Uh, whoever comes in, doesn't matter who it is, the minute he changes his discipline, everybody's back on their toes, not sure if they're going to be in the lineup. Now they have to step up and perform, show the new guy who they are. He says, I don't know who you are. I, I see what I see and I play what I see. So everybody at training brings a level up. You know, we go the next game and we win 5-1 when Benny leaves. You know, what is that? You know, so so it almost makes you more angry, you know. But... Um, it is what it is. It's a game of, of results and you need to ensure. And then it's also a game of risk because, you know, if your franchise uh, is at the bottom of the log, you risk losing millions and millions of rands in, in you know, yeah, once you get down to that NFD, it can be the end of uh, the end of it, you know. John, you've been very, very grateful with your time. Uh, I've only got two more questions. Um, I really want to look at a broader spectrum of the Pan-African League. Uh, is it something that you see as appealing? Is it something you feel that um, teams in South Africa should have the opportunity to enter into? Your thoughts on it, please. Uh, are you talking about a league that will be of selected clubs in Africa? Absolutely. Listen, in, you know, in principle, on theory, it, it sounds all great, you know, because of the fact that you feel that you would have a, a league that's at a high level and there'd be a lot of interest in it and of course a lot of uh, commercial interest in it as well but you know it would be the, the 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 other side of the coin of that is is complete disaster in local football there would be no reason to compete there'd be less interest from commercial elements um it would kind of ring fence two or three clubs and the rest would be non-existent in this country and i think the whole the whole industry in general over a period uh, African football would collapse completely. The, the the sense of pride of having African teams enter into the World Cup stage after that. So I'm not a fan of uh, I'm not a fan of that uh, that structure. They tried it in the in Europe. Uh, they quickly backed out because at the end of the day they left the most important person out of that equation, and that's the fan. Well, the and, owners were in on it. The owners had yeah. all signed documents, well, but the fans didn't know. <laughs> The, num- the numbers look good. Eh? The numbers look the good. The numbers on paper, look good. You know? Yes. But uh, uh, you know, football is built on on passion. You know, and it's built on 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 the fans. I mean, it it create you can't you can't leave them. This is why our club we've really focused, and that's why I want to build this stadium that you see behind me. I don't know if you can see. That's oh that's oh, oh, oh tell us about it, John. I I, I keep seeing it. That's the rendering of, of the potential stadium that we're looking to build. With oh, the, so the I read an article. Uh, 
in 2019, correct me if I'm wrong, where you were saying you were looking to build the stadium. So this is, yeah, this is the, this is the rendering drawing and it's, it's a 12, 10, 12,000 seater stadium, yeah. but it's an ecosystem of its own. It's got a uh, hundred apartments. There's a commercial element, there's shops on the front. So seven days a week, this thing will function as a normal uh, strip mall uh, accommodation. And obviously during the week, the team will train and, you know, once every two weeks we have a match there and, you know, 10,000 seats. Uh, it's it'll be at capacity because it's limited. You know, for you to watch a Kaiser Chiefs game, you're going to have to buy the Golden Arrows game. You know, that's that's the only way you do it. And now all of a sudden you create the demand. You're right on the pitch. The atmosphere on the for the players is is second to none. And uh, you know, I'd like to see the day when I play Kaiser Chiefs in Cape Town, and I have more Cape Town City supporters than Kaiser Chiefs because if you're not a member of City, you can't get a ticket. Yes. So where where are you looking to put the structure now? Because we've earmarked Hartleyvale being where the okay. where Cape Town City and football it was it's the heart of football in in, the, in, in Cape Town, and uh, Cape Town City of old used to play out of that stadium. So we've been training there. We have a lease on that premises, um, and we've had so for the last five years. And, you know, now we're looking to do a deal with the city where they will allow us to put uh, erect a stadium again, because there was one there. They demolished it. There's only one little stand left. So we want to re-engage uh, and, and, and have, it, have it there. And uh, it's well positioned. Uh, fans and, and the football supporters know where it is. It's accessible by all. And uh, it would change the face of football for South Africa because it would be the first time a club actually controls the environment that it practices its trade. You know, we'd like gypsies wherever else we go. We arrive, we pack out our, our stuff, we put the boards out, end of the game, we pack up and leave. So the experience is an hour and a half for the fan. We need this experience to be four hours. They must come in the morning, they must engage, they must come to the, the club, the pub. They must, uh, you know, their friends must come over, they can share uh, uh, hospitality suites and then after the game there's, there's there's a couple of beer gardens in the in the premises that they can stay over have an experience you know pretty much it's, it's it's it becomes like an event a full day event which rugby by the way and cricket have been enjoying for years wow. and that's why they built this the, the the kind of support base that they have Tell me about it. I, I used to study in Pinetown, going to Kings Park Stadium on a Saturday. We pry outside uh, the stadium, watch the game, come out after the game, continue the prying. We're there until one o'clock in the morning. Uh, so, yes, it, it'll be good to have that sort of thing uh, because there's not much of it. Uh, the football experience only ends up being two hours. Uh, but yep. and, that, and that's not good enough for one of the biggest sports in South Africa. John, as I said, thank you so much. I'm just going to leave you with an opportunity to say something to your fans, to your supporters, not only in Cape Town, but in South Africa. Is there a message you want to pass on? Uh, just to say that uh, the, we've, we've really missed the fans out on the pitch. Um, the players have missed it. You can see a lot of the results that have happened uh, are not usual the usual results you see because there's no influence from the fans out in the stands and uh, for me without the fans there there isn't football so we're just going through a patch now that we feel just buying time 
because uh, without without the fans, there's no there's no purpose in in, in running a football club. So everything we're going to do is to make sure that you're able to come back safely and uh, put back those voices behind the boys and uh, you know get uh, the team going again. And from my side to our fans out there of the On The Whistle podcast. We just want to say thank you for being involved with us all the time. Thank you for making time to listen. And please hit us up and follow us on an OTW underscore podcast. Give us your thoughts, share your feelings, and enjoy the conversation that we've enjoyed with you today, Mr. John Kometis. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers.